The Anchism Podcast, brought to you by our proud sponsor, Kixinto. As Canada's premium reseller of authentic sneakers, Kixinto offers free shipping in Canada and the USA. With a wide selection of the most exclusive Jordans, Yeezys, and other premium products, you can trust Kixinto for all your sneaker needs. Don't miss out on the latest drops and limited releases. Visit their website at www.kixinto.ca to shop now and step up your sneaker game. Today on the podcast, we have Harriet Noy. She is the founder and the CEO of Hazar. A marketplace for students, she also talks about what Hazar can contribute to improve university services in terms of offering students sustainable products, a way of buying items and selling items that can benefit students. So welcome to the podcast, Harriet. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Good. How was the the journey from Manchester to Bolton? Absolutely fine. I think it was like a 15-minute train or something, so not bad at all. Tell us a bit about, you know, yourself and your journey as a student. And I know you were involved in the student union as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I studied economics um, at the University of Birmingham. Um, Yeah, so I was there for three years. And then during my second year, I set up a plastic-free society Um, It was literally just because me and my friend noticed there was a lot of single-use plastic on campus, so we wanted to kind of do something about that. Um, So we grew, in in the group there was like 200 or 200 to 300 students as part of our society, and what we would do is we'd do litter picks, we'd do canal cleans, and then we would meet with the university to kind of help guide them on ways from a student perspective that we thought they could reduce single-use plastic on campus. So I suppose that was like one of my first ever kind of experiences within the sustainability, like higher education sector. Um, and at the time, um, it was literally just a pa- something that I was just doing kind of as, as something I was passionate about. Um, the way I ended up then starting Hazar was because um, like we noticed that a lot of, so at the University of Birmingham, I think there's like 30,000 students and every Wednesday was sports night. And everyone would like on a Tuesday, they'd be going on Amazon and they'd be looking at what costume they could buy. Or on Wednesday morning, it'd be like, oh, anyone want to go to Primark so we can buy a costume? And I just thought this is so stupid because the different sports, the different themes rotate around the different sports teams. So what I want one week, another team had that theme the week before. So I could just buy, you should just be buying and selling between students. Um, So I thought, okay, let's see if I can make a marketplace for students to buy and sell from each other. A couple of days later, um, we set up a Facebook marketplace and we, we called it, this is quite controversial, but we called it Depop. Okay. So yeah, so the idea was it was the University of Birmingham's Depop. Yeah, yeah, I won't go into, into more what we did there because I think it is a tiny bit, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I feel that, you know, we're just having that consciousness about, you know, sustainability and all those things because people have this conversation in higher education a lot and I've sat on enough committees and enough boards and enough places where they talk about sustainability for a tick box activity you know just you know just okay we're talking about it it's in the yeah end and that yeah thing. so do you have any sort of what led to you being so conscious about it? and I, I would like to give I would like to mention it before the podcast. I offered water in a plastic bottle and you said no one. That's that's great. You know, you're just 
living by your truth. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I just feel like, like as a as a student, like that you see all these stats um, around. That's like seventy um, percent of students look at the sustainability credentials of their university before deciding where to go. And there's all these massive stats around how students are the most sustainable, like eco-conscious students around. But then when I speak with universities and kind of the student accommodation providers, they say that the behaviours that they see of their student, not all students, but a lot of their students in their buildings and in their university, just doesn't really align with those kind of stats. So for example, like the Amazon priming, I think I, I was chatting to an accommodation provider the other day and they said throughout the year, and they had 50,000 students living in their accommodation and there was like hundreds of thousands of Amazon parcels like throughout the year basically. So there's clearly like a misalignment between what people say that they believe and how they actually behave. And I think that that's to do with um, the different barriers that students face when it comes to sustainability. So for example, like people are often priced out of sustainable options. So like, like fashion, for example, if you want to buy something that's been made in the UK or from an ethical brand, it often comes at a higher price point. And also the convenience barrier as well. So like, I remember when I was at university, there was an Audi two minutes away where obviously, obviously everything's wrapped, wrapped in plastic or there's a zero waste shop where everything's zero, like, there's no plastic, everything's lovely. But it was a half, like, no, it was a, half an hour walk or a train away and then obviously when you get there and everything's really expensive so what Hazar's all about is trying to break down the barriers that students face to sustainability so making sustainable options more affordable and more convenient um, so you you believe that student the student population the young people are very aware and they do want to make those conscious choices about you know buying the right things and if they have place to buy it from yeah yeah i think so i just think especially because we're in a cost of living crisis at the moment like people value the money that they've got in their pocket over the sustainability of items and like and that's completely fair enough like if people don't have much money then they're not then then they're not gonna choose the most sustainable items they will, they're gonna choose the most cheapest one that's yeah exactly exactly save up something and Exactly, and that's where the convenience thing comes into it. So I think one of the reasons people have always bought into fast fashion and Amazon priming is because it's that whole next day collection, like that whole next day thing. It's a big incentive to just, you know, you don't even have to walk somewhere or yeah. make that effort to just... Yeah, exactly. Um, so with Hazar, because I'll go into it, it a little bit more how it all works, but basically because there's no postage, it's all about meeting up on campus. It means that it can be a Wednesday, it's, you find out the themes under the sea, let's say. And then you go on the app in the morning and you can go and pick up an item two hours later. So we're like feeding into that kind of instant gratification that people want and the reason why people buy into fast fashion. But we're doing it in a sustainable way. Um, so again, it's all about the convenience aspect. Well, I think mine is, look at that, that's made with organic bamboo fibers made in the UK. Oh yeah, lovely. Sustainability. I do understand that certain brands, uh, can't name them, won't name them, they do talk about sustainability and far, you know, slow fashion and all those things, but they do not really follow it. It's just a tagline or it's very smartly yeah. marketed to just yeah. fool a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I think there's more, more, 
increased regulation is going to come into the industry, thank God. Um, so I was, again, I'm not, I won't, I suppose I won't name the brand. I don't know, it probably would be fine for me to name, but I was looking at a plastic bottle the other day for a um, fizzy drink and it said 100% recyclable on the packaging and right. there was an asterisk next to it and then when you go to the asterisk it says um, everything is recycled apart from the, um, the, the, the bottle cap and the plastic film. So it's not 100% like okay. recycled do, just... do, yeah do you know what I mean it's just and then so, but they, but then all consumers see it's that 100% um, I don't know if it's made out of recycled stuff or if it's saying it's recyclable but it's just really misleading to the consumer I was speaking to my elder brother yesterday and we were talking about business and all those things and you know we were talking about ethics and morals okay we, we can't do this and do that and I was like Sometimes I feel to earn money in businesses, people sacrifice ethics and morals. And I'm happy to, you know, follow this set of rules we both has, both have as brothers in the business. But people often sacrifice those morals and those principles to earn money. And I'm someone who would earn a bit less, but make yeah. sure that I can sleep right at night. It's fine, okay. It would be a couple thousand less. But okay, that's fine. At least I have... Doing the right thing. Yeah, you know, and you're saying it feels like you really have to live by those things to actually sell that product or believe in that product. Otherwise, you can't do it if you're being a hypocrite at all times. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly, and it's all just about trying your hardest as well. Like, with, with sustainability, I feel like... Th like that. I think there was one point in second year when I tried to go completely plastic-free, um, and that just was, was too hard as a student. Um, so then I, I'm not completely plastic free now, but I'm just very conscious of it. So for example, like the tiniest things ever, but like if there's an, in Aldi and there's the bananas wrapped in plastic or the bananas not wrapped in plastic, just go for the bananas, not, not in plastic. And just where, where there's like a, an option, like always, well, I personally always try to go for the option that's not got the kind of excess packaging on. Um, and then when it comes to clothing as well, um, I kind of, a lot of people in the sustainability fashion space say this um, advice around only buy something if you can see yourself wearing it 30 times and that's so that's something I really live by um, so if it comes if there's like a I'm going to the races with my friends for example and I know that it might be a dress that I'm not going to wear that often I'll just look I'll just ask my friends if I can borrow something of theirs um, or just rewear something I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you have friends who you can borrow stuff from <laughs> and I I, I would be more than happy to share clothing. Yeah, yeah. As long as it's, I get it. It back. fits. Yeah, yeah, and, and you get it, it and, and it you get fits, it back. And it fits. Be fair. I don't know what my friends would say. I don't know if it's quite one-sided. The whole borrowing. <laughs> I always say you can borrow anything from my wardrobe, but maybe my wardrobe's quite minimal. <laughs> uh, but I feel sometimes, Harriet, people are real hypocrites and they do not know what they're talking about whilst they talk about sustainability and climate change and all those things. So hopefully this podcast would help them, you know, be more aware to understand that do not be extreme and just start by little things. Yeah. You cannot be a plastic free person in one day or this world or the way things function cannot change in one no, day. No, exactly. People are taking gradual steps. Um, I know there's a lot of 
misinformation or there was a lot of wrong information on mainstream media and the government yeah but i think as long as you are making your conscious choices that really helps people doesn't it yeah definitely yeah and i feel like the university sector is doing a lot for sustainability um i suppose it could be argued that it's taking quite a long time to happen but recently i've been to quite a lot of sustainability conferences and i think it um i feel quite optimistic about the steps the sector's taking so I suppose that's one good thing. Well, that is definitely a step in the right direction. A slow one, but yeah. So, more about Hazar. How did you come about the name? Uh, uh, the name, yeah. So that's quite a nice story, actually. So it was during COVID, um, and um, one of my one of my dad's friends. Um, can't remember how it all kind of actually came about, but basically, one of my dad's friends create created the name. Hazar did all of kind of all of our initial branding for us, um, and he said that Hazar was a mix of a cloth, like obviously a clothing bazaar, and then also when when you do like a cheers and you go like Hazar, um, and then it was just kind of a bonus that my nickname, so my name's Harriet, my nickname's um, Haz, but some people call me Hazar, so it's like kind of a mix of all of that. But yeah, thanks to my dad's friend Steve. Something that is personalised to you as well. So you know, you spoke about having a society that is, you know, exchanging clothes on the sports days and uh, recycling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah. So from that, how did you come up with the idea of Hazar? Yeah. So I suppose so. The society was predominantly focused on um, helping the university create a plastic-free campus. Hazar then came about because we created a Facebook marketplace. You know, I mentioned the Beepop thing. So we, we created this Facebook marketplace and we basically just said, um, are you fed up of Amazon priming sports night costumes? Join Hazar. And we put up all of these posters around the library and did some posts on Facebook. And then literally within within a couple, like 24 hours, there was 2,000 members on the page. Um, and then fast forward about... Um, I think even like just six months and there was four and a half thousand students on this Facebook page um, and you just often see people stood outside the library holding a t-shirt or something and waiting quite awkwardly and someone would walk over like oh you're right like are you that person that I'm selling this to and um, so it just really seemed to be working and students were loving it um, and like as I mentioned I was studying economics and a lot of my friends were applying to finance grad schemes and everything and I just knew that wasn't really for me I'd always been quite in- interested in kind of entrepreneurship and startup, so something did kind of I did kind of get a bit of a feeling like all oh, this. I think this could turn into something. So then I think then COVID happened, and then my dad's friend Steve created the brand for me. So what I did was I created an Instagram, and I basically said, "This is what we've done at the University of Birmingham. If you think it would work at your university, then get in touch." Um, and we ended up, I ended up with 30 different students from across the country getting in touch and saying, I want to set up Hazar at my university. So what we did is we called each of those students, they were like a head of Hazar, so they were like responsible for Hazar at their uni. Um, and we ended up with near, nearly 20,000 students on different Hazar pages around the country. But obviously this was just on Facebook to start with. Um, and then there was kind of no way to monetize it, and I suppose it wasn't really like a proper business. Um, so what I did, what I wanted to do was create an app where, like the Zero Waste Marketplace app that we've got at the moment, where um, each university or city would have its own marketplace and there'd be absolutely no postage, so people would just buy on the app and then meet up in person to hand over items. Um, 
So yeah, I wanted to make that that obviously must apps. be frustrating, you know, having those twenty thousand people and not being able to monetize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being an economics student. Yeah, kind of. But then I think a lot of business businesses and start from a community, and I think so. I think like harnessing that community to start with um, on a free platform, I think is kind of still was still really beneficial. And I suppose when when people talk about business, they often talk about like getting a um, min minimum viable product as quickly as possible. Um, and often people might spend thousands of pounds on their. Um, okay. Well, no, like have you heard of min minimum viable product before? I have heard. Yeah. Of it, but I do not exactly know how much I've heard or what so, exactly yeah. it means. It basically means so like if you're creating a company, let's say if you wanted to make like a um, if you wanted to make a robot. If the robot, you, you might want the robot to do a million different things, but to prove that the market actually wants what this thing that you're making, you have to make it in its simplest form. You have to make it in its simplest form to start with so that you can get as customer feedback as quickly as possible. Because what happens with a lot of tech companies, for example, is the the tech founder might have this, these massive big ideas and then they, they spend three years making this all singing all dancing product and then they realize oh no one actually wants it okay, okay. So, so it needs to be viable for the market it needs the minimum thing that that will get get you customer feedback okay. if that makes sense so you want to make a product that has the potential to get some feedback on it and realize that it it's actually wanted by the people people need to use it exactly exactly Not just spending millions on exactly on so, so that's um, why I'm like what, what I mean around the Facebook page. So, so the Facebook page gave us a free, minimum like minimum viable product. We got twenty thousand people on there, which showed that people wanted this. We had all these students reaching out around the country. Um, so then, what I basically did, because obviously to make an app is quite expensive. Um, so I think I, I knew I needed about twenty thousand pounds to build an app, like a very basic app, and then also for a bit of marketing. Um, and one of my advisors at the time basically said to me, if you can't raise £20,000 investment, then it's probably a crap idea and you should just give up with it. Um, which is a fair point. Which is a fair point. Obviously, savage, but like actually... It's, it's harsh, but if it's not a viable product, if yeah, yeah. not want it, no one would be interested in investing. Exactly, exactly. So what I did was I then made a pitch deck, really simple pitch deck, just explaining like problem, solution, this is how I'm going to do it. I think I said that our revenue projections would be at about £200 million revenue within about two years. Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Um, sent it out to everyone I knew on LinkedIn because I'd always been quite keen, like, active on LinkedIn, so probably similar to you, actually. Um, and then um, a guy that I'd done work experience for when I was a lot younger basically said, pitch it to me and my wife next weekend and we'll go from there. And then they um, ended up putting in £20,000 investment and that was kind of what kicked it all off. So are you happy that, you know, being keen on hitting those roadblocks, you know, it, you're saying it very easily now, you know, I just, you know, pitch the idea, sent the message. How much of your ego do you have to just shed your yeah. I feel like it is just hard. Like, I remember saying to my mum and dad, like, oh, I'm going to raise £20,000 and they just thought it was hilarious. They are like, £20,000? How are you going to get £20,000? And I was like, I don't know either. But you just... You just have to shoot your shot and go for it. And like when I got that reply, because obviously I, you do kind of lose a bit of hope. But then I must have not. I, I think I, in my head I was quite optimistic. But I remember I was going for a run that morning, checked my LinkedIn, and I had a message from the man that ended up investing. And he said, and I couldn't believe it. 
I was just like, oh my God. And so it's like, you get so many knockbacks along the way, but then I think as long as you're always making a bit of progress, it kind of makes it all worth it. It does, it doesn't. You know, people often give up where they're just near their goal, they're near their target, and they're like, okay, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. It's sometimes, you know, it's sometimes good not to be desperate and take that break. But at the same time, it's good to just give that push to yourself one last time and just check if, okay, I should try it with this person. I would try to apply for this job or yeah. try to work harder to get where I need to. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it is, really. Like, so with our, our business model now, um, our business model is like um, B2B. So we now sell into universities and that's how it all works. And like universities, as, as I'm sure you'll know, are very difficult kind of beasts to navigate because there's huge yeah no but i also mean like getting to speak to the right people is really hard so like you just get passed around a a lot or you just get yeah or a lot of people just not like kind of no one people not wanting to take ownership of it get a lot of oh sounds great but it's not my remit sounds great not my remit and then you're waiting for intros that don't happen and it can just be quite hard but that's where as you just said then it's like you have to just be keen yeah and res- and and just this like yeah 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 and just like find a way in and that's what i've learned as well is that if someone might say no in this team but then you can find a way into another team mm-hmm. so it's just kind of just not giving up so you just go back to the basic things and keep telling yourself why you're doing this because i'm sure i read there were moments where you're like even when we were communicating i can see that okay you need to get something done not look desperate at the same time and shed your ego as well yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah th- th- there's definitely a lot of times where if i've thought bloody hell like i wouldn't do that if yeah it wasn't for my business yeah yeah well, no and just like times when like everyone always says to be a founder it's all about resilience which is 100 percent true but then sometimes there's only so much you can take like i've had times when deal has fallen over after deal after and Especially in the early days, you're so attached to every single deal that, like, a, a no just literally feels like you're being broken up with almost. Like, it just hit, cuts so deep. Um, but then I think if you weren't at, like, in the early days, these deals do mean so much. So it's like, if you're almost not that attached to the deals, then you're not wanting them enough. So it's kind of just like, you just got to go, go through it, really. You know, if we put these things into perspective, that £20,000 would be so important for you and it would be more important than 10 times the money at a different stage because you would know that I needed something to start with. Yeah, exactly. And someone believing in you. If you have no one believing in you, then you... Like, in these like kind of dark days when you're thinking... When you're doubting yourself, if you had no one backing you or anything, then that would just make it so much easier to quit. But... When you've got all these people like believing in you, putting money into you, you're like, okay, well, surely they wouldn't be putting money into me if they if didn't. I wasn't worth it or yeah. wasn't good enough. Yeah, exactly. So, Harry, tell us, tell the audience, tell the listeners, tell me about your team. In our in our kind of team, I think there's like eight or nine of us. Um, a lot of people are part time, so <laughs> yeah. Um, and what I've kind of learned is that the team that you like the team that you start the company with to the team that what am I trying to say like when I started the company I I brought in a lot of junior people Um, but I suppose just because like due to kind of my lack of experience in a way you just kind of 
you end up hiring people similar to yourself. You don't really think about, well, I personally didn't really think about bringing in really experienced people. Don't know why. Um, but then more recently, I've realized actually, like the kind of size of the partnerships that we've got going on, um, where we want to take the business, we need people that know what they're doing. We can't have loads of students, for example, running the company because, like, yeah. We so, need some sort of experience. Yeah, we need experience. And actually, since we brought in experience, it's just elevated things massively. Um, but I think the main thing that there is knowing when to bring that experience in. So, for example, if I'd have brought the experience in this time last year, I think it would have been too soon mm -hmm. because the, our business model, we were still figuring out our business model. We weren't really... We couldn't. We weren't ready to go full steam ahead in one direction. So if, I think if we'd have brought the senior, more experienced people in at this point, they would probably have ended up leaving because the company was disorganised. Whereas now we know where we're going. We know what we need to do. So it's now just putting them people in place to like accelerate the train. I suppose. I suppose everyone always goes on about like team culture, but I just think it's it is just so important, especially in a startup, because things are so hard and things don't always go as planned and there's a lot of pivoting quite a lot of it's quite I suppose it can be quite unsettling for people in the team so having people that wrap around it believe in it um, and are wanting to happy to be on the journey with you is so important so as a as a founder yourself what are the measures or what are the things that you need to think about to make sure your team members are on the same page and are happy how often do you meet them how often do you have a conversation yeah so I think we all we all chat quite a lot so we have one team meeting every week where everyone comes in so it's called like a scrum meeting and everyone says what they've been working on what they're going to be working on this week um, if there's 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 often quite a lot of things like um, more st strategy things or problems that we're having within the business so when we have those kind of things we'll set a team meeting and then everyone will come in and we'll kind of try and solve some of the big problems together um, the dev team meet quite a lot. Um, I meet with marketing quite a lot. So I suppose we don't have a structure, but I would say we're all in very regular contact. I think, especially when you're starting something from scratch, not having any structure is the structure, is the right way to go forward. Yeah. If you just enforce structures in place, it breaks the fluidity of whatever your process is yeah exactly or whatever works for you yeah and the people will be like this is not the harriet we started working with yeah exactly so exactly and the pr priority is getting shit done basically so like if you, we put in all these formalities of like i don't know sending me an email at the end of every day of what you've done for example that's just like distracting away from getting the shit done <laughs> exactly and as long as you know that okay the final task is done and the final thing that you want to do is done and they're doing it in their own time. As a founder, you can't be bothered and keep checking up or micromanaging each person. No, yeah, exactly. Harriet, what I've realized meeting you today and, you know, just seeing that you were early, earlier than, you know, I was expecting you to be on in the studio for the podcast. And I personally really admire that trait because I'm someone who really, really values time. I really respect time and I really respect people who respect my time. Yeah. But sometimes do you feel frustrated when there are certain people in general, when you were doing the society or throughout as an entrepreneur, how frustrating is people not valuing time? I've had a couple of situations where it's been really frustrating. So for example, I've had a couple of investor 
investors asked me to meet them for lunch or something and I've got the train to where they've asked me to meet them and they've cancelled their PA has cancelled it like 20 minutes before and I've travelled two hours on a train to get there situations like that I think are quite poor how do you react? I just said no worries thank you but my dad actually was furious he said you need to tell you need to tell them ask them to pay your train and sailor but I just thought whatever um, I don't know what do you think? same approach there's no point of saying things and we go back to the point of us being resilient but i really lose respect and you know in harriet in any relationship in business or friendships or anything you do how can you you know look at people if you do not have that basic respect you know yeah and if they don't value time how do you yeah force yourself to have even if they are giving money you know and then we talk about things as a start as a you know new startup as an entrepreneur as a founder you have to give up that sort of self respect and that sort of rigidity and ego okay it's fine is giving me money these are difficult times okay let's just forget about it yeah exactly exactly, exactly. um and i feel like now because a lot of meetings are obviously online if someone cancels a meeting just before i so i find it quite nice sometimes because it's just like an hour you didn't think you had Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like that as well. <laughs> I, I, I no like worries, that. thank you. Sometimes, yeah, I agree with you. I I am someone who would like to meet people in person. And yeah. You sort of get a genuine feel to know what the person is and what their intention is and what they're trying to achieve as yeah. an investor or as someone who works for us. Yeah, I agree. I think what's good with the university sector is that so I have a lot of these Zoom calls online, but then there's also quite a lot of conferences. So you'll have a lot of online chats, but then you kind of solidify the relationship in person. Right. And I found that kind of really really beneficial because it's kind of impossible to meet everyone in person. There'll be some days, I think like tomorrow I've got four to five sales meetings. And obviously it's so efficient, isn't it? Because it's all online. But if you had to go meet all those people, oh it would be a nightmare. Especially with sales, but you are an economics person, so you'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> so, what universities have you? Are you currently working with? Which universities have you currently partnered with? Yeah, so we work with University of Birmingham, University of Manchester, um, some universities in Leeds, some in London, um, and then we also work with some of the private accommodation sector. So. Um, hello, Happy student. Dwell, student. Pardon. Happy days. Yeah. Um, wait, is, is Happy Days a student accommodation? No, for for you. Oh. You have so many partners. Yeah. But then we we also ran quite a lot of um, pilots last year for free for some universities as well. Um, yeah. We have really good. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, it's all going well. But because we so we pivoted, our business model used to be that we took a ten percent commission from sales. And then we pivoted, as I mentioned, to the B two B model, where we charge the universities and the accommodation providers a subscription. And that pivot happened around Christmas time. Do you still charge that commission? So we still charge the commission, but that's not actually part of our business model. Not to go into too much detail, but we have to pay Stripe, who's the payment provider, two pounds per. So basically, we break even on the commission. Okay. Um, and in the future, if it's something we can take away, then we will. Um, But yeah, so with the so because we pivoted, it was like, like having to create a whole, like we had to really work on our value proposition to a university because previously we'd been approaching them on a more partnership free basis, and then it was like, oh, actually, um, like 
this is our new model now and we had to really work on why the university should be paying for it and stuff so it's taken us a while to get to that point but now we're getting really positive feedback and we have a very kind of healthy pipeline hopefully to launch in September and in the next a- academic year. I'm assuming Harriet that your first partner or the first people that you work with were at the University of Birmingham because you had your sustainable society. There. Yeah, yeah. So how dif- how difficult was that to just get it through or what what was the feeling like when you cracked that deal you're like okay I've done some business and I'm happy that this is going. Yeah, through. yeah. Yeah, I feel like getting your first kind of deals is just feel feel amazing. Um but then there's also something I learned is that if someone email like you, I suppose you have different stages of a deal so someone might say get send you an email and say cool I've had approval I've had financial approval brilliant let's get this going but then that's just like for an email and then obviously you have to go through all the contracting of them reviewing the T's and C's and everything like that so you haven't actually got a deal until it's signed which is something that I've had to learn because we've had a few fall over in that point until so yeah so I'm now trying to learn to just Okay, they say they want to do it, brilliant, but don't celebrate until it's actually signed. Um That's a good advice for you know. Anyway, yeah, I know because you can get so caught you can get so yeah, I don't know. Especially with the universities with their like red tape and stuff, it can be quite a challenge. Yeah. Just don't celebrate until things are final. Uh what is your goal? as the founder or what is that final so yeah i know it will always keep changing yeah 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 and currently what do you think? yeah so i think has our has our become part like an integral part of the kind of university experience and it would just become something that students use from the day they from a month before they even arrive at university until when they leave um so our goal is to make sure that hazards embedded and is useful is it just a useful tool that if students need anything during their time at university they go to hazar if they want to sell anything they go to hazar um so like the way i suppose we're planning on doing that is um by working really closely with the university to make sure that hazar is embedded in all of the key touch points for a student's journey so for example with international students before they even arrive in the uk they create a hazar account and then on hazar they can create a wish, a wish list um of all the items that they want um then they'll they'll post that on the app and then students who are already in the ho- in the the country where the university operates can then say oh i've got those items and it matches up kind of domestic students to international students um so obviously that's like a touch point from when they arrive um in like freshers packs and stuff or like accommodation packs it will be join the university of bolton's um student marketplace throughout the year we run a lot of pop-up markets so for students who want to sell stuff in person or for maybe entrepreneurial students we support them with creating a business and selling things through the app um like every summer when maybe you get a mass leave of i suppose international students and domestic students students would be encouraged to sell their items back to other students um and just like I don't know if you can kind of see what I mean just like just a huge just touch points constantly and just creating that ecosystem where yeah just a circular economy that everyone is involved in and everyone can engage in and yeah. I can understand your intention that you know they can have a wish list and they can have a set of products that they might need or they might sell when they're in the UK for international students but 
are there any specific items and we haven't spoken about this are there any specific items that you focus on it or is there anything that the students can sell yeah so we built we've built the app to encompass everything a student would need during their time at university so um just to give you an example of some of the categories um so it's like clothes household items sports equipment fancy dress costumes textbooks um Literally, yeah, yeah, literally everything a student would need during the time of university. And then we've also um, recently added a handmade category and a reworked category. Um, and that's because some of the universities we partner with are art-focused universities. So we really want Hazard to be a platform where creative students can monetize their talents. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really, really committed to supporting students. with. So we want Hazard to be like... If you know how at the moment, if a student comes to university, they'll get a part-time job work. That maybe they'll think to get a part-time job working at a restaurant or something. We really want Hazard to be an option for students to earn substantial income during their time at university. Um, and we have seen that we've had students earn one of our sellers earn one thousand pounds in a month through selling on Hazard. How many? Sorry. A thousand pounds through that's, selling. That's good income, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like a proper minimum wage job. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we have a lot of students who, when they come to university, maybe they make jewellery in their room or they crochet in their room and they've never actually put it out as like a product to people. And then we give them the confidence and the platform to do that. And then they can sell on our app or they can also sell at our events. Um, and then you just we just watch them throughout the year, just kind of their businesses grow and their confidence grow. Um, so that's something that I'm kind of really passionate about as well. Oh. This might be a silly question, Harleen, but is there any product guarantee or, you know, do you, does the app take any responsibility, say, if I'm selling a phone or if I'm selling a laptop that doesn't work really properly but is advertised in a way that shows that, okay, this is in perfect working condition and yeah. then they have that deal. How much, how much accountability do you hold as a founder in yeah. that situation? So the way that it works so if you were let's say if you wanted to buy this cardigan off me not that you would um but you'd go onto the app you'd message me and would say okay i'll meet you outside the library um 2 p.m tomorrow you would then click buy use apple pay google pay or put in your card and then a qr code comes up on your hazara app when you and i then meet up in person um i'll you, you'll check this you'll say yeah yeah cool it looks as as, as i described um, I'll hand it over to you and then at that point um, I'll scan your QR code and only at that scanning of the QR code is your money released to me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So in terms of like the guarantee of items, we still need to probably do a little bit of work on the electronics side of things because mm -hmm. I know that that's a kind of, could be a unique, um, that's a kind of unique user case. Um, but it's like there's basically at the moment no refunds past the point of the QR code being scanned. Okay. Because if you think about most items, like you wouldn't, if you're not happy with it, you wouldn't scan the QR code. And if the QR code's not scanned, the money's returned to the right. buyer. So the buyer has another moment, another step to think about before actually buying yeah. the item. In terms of safeguarding, in terms of students meeting up, have you recognized risks and issues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for that, obviously, all students and staff, um, they sign up with their .ac.uk email address, so they're verified using that. And they're recommended to meet on campus? Yeah. Or the yeah, recommended to meet on campus. So w within the app as well, we have a safe spaces section. So what we do with every university we partner with, they tell us where they where the safe spaces are on campus, and that's what we encourage people to meet. Okay. Um, and the kind of characteristics of a safe space would be 
like somewhere where there's CCTV, it's inside. Social learning zone. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Somewhere that might have someone on reception. Um, and then what we'd do is we'd put a roller banner that just says, Hazar, drop off, Hazar meetup point. Yeah, so that, that's a good idea. And I think what we're going to do as well is we'll name each one, like we'll give each one like a name that will be specific to the university as well so that people know, oh, I'll meet you at the so, Chancellor Hazar point. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah, so that's, and we also kind of say to people, don't meet up at night, take a friend with you. Um, Makes sense. And we really have important tips. Exactly. And we also have like a, a report feature in the app. So I think this will come in handy if there's ever any disputes um, on the app so people can report. I Just can log those users from you. Yeah, yeah. They can report like an item, a message, um, or a seller. And then that comes to us. And then obviously, because we've got the relationship with the university, if there's ever any kind of quite big disputes, then we can, we'll be able to resolve, ca- resolve them. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome, Ali. So, as the founder and the CEO of Hazar, what would be your message to convey to the students? To sell your item, to sell your app, um, and, you know, to convince them to use your app? I think I think with with students, obviously everyone, especially a new fresher, everyone wants to be. You don't want to be. Uh, everyone gets FOMO, don't they? So I suppose it would be like with the University of Birmingham's case, because we've already got four and a half thousand students on the on the platform there. It would be join four and a half thousand other University of Birmingham students in the university's um, mar- like the university specific marketplace. Um, but basically, with every university we partner with, we employ a head of Hazar, who's a student who work, who's employed by us um, for five hours a week, and they're responsible for the growth of Hazar at their university. And then we also recruit three to four student ambassadors. So the reason we do that is so that whenever we partner, Hazar's, it's not coming from like the bottom down and like all the staff telling the students to use it. Hazar's actually coming from bottom up. From the students. students. So in terms of how students would articulate it to their peers, obviously they will all have, every student will have a different reason for promoting Hazar. Do you know what I mean? And and then what we're going to do is we'll get ambassadors to cut, like we'll get some international student ambassadors, we'll get um, some ambassadors from different subjects, different sports teams, for example, and then they'll all have different reasons for why Hazar helps them. Mm -hmm. And then that will help kind of channel would you expect the university to pay f- to those ambassadors no so we so, so we pay we pay all of the students awesome. ourselves yeah That's so awesome. so the way that our kind of monthly subscription works is there's like a bronze silver and gold tier and obviously the price increases yeah um so with like the silver, so with the bronze package, for example, that that's where the university is responsible for all the marketing. But with the silver package, that's where the price is slightly higher. But we pr- provide all the employment opportunities, and as a as a company, we're responsible for making it fly. And we found that like it, it just leads to really really high student engagement. The bottom up initiative leads to really high student engagement. Um, as I said, like with the University of Birmingham, four and a half thousand students within a year. We, we did a um, small-scale pilot at the University of Leeds and we had 2,500 students on the platform within, I think, literally a couple of months. Um, so, yeah, it just leads to high engagement, which is, I think, something that universities seem to struggle with quite often. Yeah, it definitely does. And I personally feel when we spoke first, I genuinely believed in the idea. I haven't seen a similar idea. 
So I did not really ask you questions about competitors, but no. they, they, are there any competitors? Yeah, so I suppose like there's students still use, although students, everyone always says students don't use Facebook. But I think a lot of students use Facebook still, especially for the big Facebook groups. Like, do you have a big Bolton Facebook group? Do you I'm know? sure there. I'm in certain groups that do sell products, do yeah. sell items and buy items. Yeah, know. exactly. So our our like main competitor is definitely things like Facebook groups where students would just social media in general. Yeah, yeah. F- probably not social media in general. Um, fa- market. Facebook Marketplace, basically. Uh-huh. Um, and then I suppose Depop, Depop and Vinted oh, yeah. are like our big competitors. But so what we've done there, because we know, we know that students, are, everyone uses Depop, everyone uses Vinted, so do I. Um, so what we've done is in the onboarding to Hazar, we've created a feature where students can copy and paste all of their listings from Depop and Vinted onto Hazar. So instead of instead of people being like, oh, I don't want to use Hazar because I've I've spent a day listing everything, actually, like listing on Hazar is completely seamless and from the convenience aspect it takes them seconds um, and then yeah so that's kind of what we've done to try and make it so our competitors aren't so much competitors it actually is benefit like if if students list on those platforms it's actually helpful to us because it increases listings on our platform I think what I really feel about your product is that it's very unique in the way that it's only specially catered for students yeah okay that's that's the first defining point and places like facebook depop do not have ambassadors on campus yeah exactly so there's a couple of things that would make your product unique and i feel anything that is student focused is very sustainable because students keep coming year on year on exactly year. so Exactly. More, power, more power to you, Harriet. More power to you, and uh, more power to Steve, who created the name. Because you know, it's a good name. I it's know. It's a good name. Yeah, it's a good name. I know. Because a lot of startups like rebrand, don't they? After like a couple of years, they'll just get rid of their initial. Initial. Yeah. Whereas I have no. Well, there's absolutely no branding. way. We're, yeah. No. I think our branding's really strong. Even if someone offers you twenty million. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and it's been a lot of learning. It's been a fun chat. And for the people who listen to the podcast in England, I would, in the United Kingdom, I yeah. would highly recommend you, if you're students or if you know people who are students, use Hazar. Uh, it's an idea that I really think is awesome. And the person who runs this app really believes in the idea so sometimes we have people who do not believe in what they're saying who do not live by the truth who are hypocrites and i think a lot of us are hypocrites in some sort of senses but harriet when it comes to hazar is not a hypocrite she believes in what she's saying and i would highly recommend people to engage with this app so thank you thank you, oh, thank you very much